I was um, I was riding to a meeting with a friend of mine a few years ago, and we were stuck uh, in interstate traffic. I think it was on I forty out of Asheville, and it was one of those deals, you know, where there's there's road construction ahead, uh, and everybody is supposed to narrow down into to one lane. And you have your, your rule followers and your non-rule followers, and all the rule followers immediately jump into the, to the right lane, and everybody else, all the rebels, go around and they swerve in at the last minute. And, and my friend who was driving was sitting there, he, he got in the right lane, but every time somebody would go flying past us, he would say, there goes an unsatisfied soul. There, there goes another unsatisfied soul. And then after about 10 minutes of that, we pulled out and flew around everything. <laughs> and I looked at it and said, I guess you're an unsatisfied soul, huh? Um, but, but I think that's a, that's a good picture of what we're talking about today. We're talking about contentment. And I think that often in life, we think we're one lane change away from contentment. It's it just this, this one thing we're different in my life that everything would be okay. I would be content. And that can be... You guys know that can be a million different things for all of us. These things that we're looking for contentment. Uh, I think you know Black Friday every year reminds us that we as a nation think we're going to find contentment if we get the best deal or if we have enough stuff or the right gadget or whatever it's going to be. Um, when I was at App State, I, it was not unusual to hear people talk about uh, finding contentment in an altered view of reality, uh, however that might come about. Uh, Bertram Russell was an atheist philosopher, and, and he thought that we just needed to accept the fact that life uh, is meaningless, and despair and meaningless are the foundation of life, and if you understand that, then you can be content, uh, I guess. Uh, a friend of mine, though, summed it all up in this way. He used to, he used to send me emails, and at the end of every email, he said, um, let me find her. Me, I just want to live happily ever after every once in a while. That's all, that's all I'm really asking for. Every once in a while, if I could just live happily ever after. Um, what is it for you? What's that, you know, what are those things on the list that you're saying, if, if this, if this would just fall into place, uh, then I would be content. Maybe it's getting to the next stage in life. You guys know how this often works. If only I could be married, if only we could have children, if only we could have another child, if only the kids would, would learn to put their seatbelt on, and if we'd get out of the diaper stage. And you know, you just go, I'll be content then. And then you get out of those stages and you start looking back. If only things were still like they were then. I can't believe they grew up so fast. And so we're always wrestling with contentment. Uh, Paul is going to tell us here that contentment is not found where we think it is. So, uh, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. This is God's word. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. To greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, we're going to talk about being content today. And uh, I confess that my contentment is often very much shaped by, by my circumstances. And I'm sure that's true for many of us. So I pray that you would give us uh, insight uh, into where true and lasting contentment might be found. Uh, and it would, that it would not just be a head thing that we know, but something that we learn to lean into with our hearts as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Contentment. Uh, what, what exactly is contentment? Uh, the first thing I want us to see is what contentment is not. One of the things we see from this text is that contentment is not based on circumstances. The kind of contentment Paul is talking about. Now I have to confess that when I was when I realized I was preaching on this uh, this Sunday and I was thinking about the Auburn Alabama game, I was thinking, man, if we lose that game, I, I really gotta like believe what I'm preaching. Um, I, I can't just just go up there and, and go through the motions of it. But, but Paul is, is is giving us something um, that win or lose, that whatever the situation is, you can be content. Because look what he says here. He says he knows what it means to be in plenty. He's been plenty. He's been in plenty. He's been well fed. He's been in need. He's been in hungry. He's been on both sides of that equation. He's been shipwrecked. He's been thrown into prison. If you, if you look at Paul's life, all of these difficult circumstances uh, that, that have characterized his life. He's known sorrow. And he's also known joy as well. But in the midst of all of this, he says that he's learned no matter where he was on that spectrum. And I think it's important to emphasize here the word learn, that he has learned to be content. Now, I think it's easy for us to see why we might struggle with contentment uh, when things are difficult, but what we're reminded of as well is that just getting to the next stage, just getting that thing that you thought was going to make you happy, uh, just changing lanes, is no guarantee of contentment uh, either. Because often we get what we were looking for and then we need something better. Or one situation works out and then, wow, we're slammed in the, in the middle of another difficult situation. And so it, it's, it's difficult there for us to find contentment. But Paul's contentment wasn't based on his circumstances. It wasn't based on what he had. It wasn't based on what he didn't have. It, it wasn't even based on his, his physical condition. Contentment's not based on your circumstances. Uh, it's also not based on some kind of self-sufficiency. Some sort of kind of time lane, I'll leave me alone, I can, I can handle this, I can, I can make things work, I can take care of myself. It's obvious here that Paul's contentment is not coming from him, it's coming from outside of him. So the contentment he's talking about 
not based on circumstances, uh, not something he just wills himself into. It's not just the self-sufficiency, hey, just, just fight through it and be okay. So what is it? I want to give you a definition. Uh, it's from a man named Jeremiah Burroughs. <coughs> he was a Puritan minister, and he wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. So I'll tell you a lot about how difficult this is. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And here's how you define it. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Here, I'll read that one more time. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Well, let's, let's say a few things in about what contentment is. First of all, contentment is a heart condition. Uh, it's, it's one of those attitudes of the heart that you can't always measure by somebody's words. Well, sometimes you can, but you can't necessarily. Because it's possible to kind of hold your tongue and, and refrain from grumbling and complaining when inside you're harboring a very bitter spirit. When, when inside you're very discontent. Uh, we're, very, we're very good at putting on masks for other people. Uh, some, of the, some of the funniest people are some of the most discontent people. Uh, I had a relative about 10 years ago who was, was probably the, the funniest guy in the family uh, who took his own life. Everything seen on the outside, you would have met him and you think, man, you know, he's fine, he's great, he lost life. Uh, but something was going on there that was hidden that nobody knew about. There was a great discontentment. Um, we covered up as well. Sunday after Sunday, we show up and we smile and we say, how are you doing? Everything's fine. I'm fine. Uh, when inside, we can be very discontent. So contentment's a heart condition. Contentment starts with believing the gospel. Paul says here, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, what does that statement assume? I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. It assumes that Paul has a living relationship with Jesus Christ. That he's united to Jesus Christ by faith. And the only way you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ is if you realize your own sin. If you've owned your own sin. If you've owned your own brokenness. If you've owned the fact that, that something is wrong in here, but if you've also owned the fact that God loves you and has given Jesus for you, He sent Jesus to rescue you from that sin and brokenness. And what we have to believe, and this is why I say contentment begins to believe in the gospel, we have to believe, well, look, if God loved me enough to give Jesus for my sins, then certainly He still loves me enough to provide for me in the midst of this difficult situation what I need, even if I can't quite see it. Here, here's how Paul puts it in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to this if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare us His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things. See, contentment begins in believing the gospel because, because the gospel tells me God is for me. 
And I, I can't see that necessarily in my circumstances right now. But the gospel is the objective truth that trumps my circumstances, that tells me, yes, God is for you. He gave up Jesus for you. And if He was willing to give up Jesus for you, then certainly He's willing to give you what is needed to face your circumstances. That's easy to forget in it. It's easy to forget in the, in the midst of difficult circumstances. Uh, in the midst of, of health trouble, in the midst of the death of a loved one, uh, in, in the midst of family difficulties, in the midst of work difficulties, job difficulties, all of these things, it's easy to forget that. The cross of Jesus Christ reminds me that God is still for me. That God loves me. That He's showered me with His love in Jesus Christ. That He loves me. Therefore, whatever comes my way, Whatever comes my way is from the hand of a Father who is not just randomly doling out things, but it's from the hand of a Father who loves me and is it's for my good and for His glory. Contentment begins with believing that. With believing the Gospel truth that God is for me. He's shown me that at the cross. What is it so far? It's a hard thing. It's not something we just kind of put on a fake smile about. Um, and it begins with believing the gospel. Thirdly, remember we said it's learned. Well, how's it learned? Contentment is learned as we practice turning to Christ. Uh, contentment, uh, for one, it, it, how, how do we wind up turning to Christ? Often what, the way that happens is, is that we have to go through some difficult circumstances. Right? Suffering can actually lead us to contentment. Uh, because in the midst of difficult circumstances, we have to begin to, to let go. Because we, we put so much stock in our circumstances being okay and being the source of our happiness. And, and suddenly if that's cut off, we're almost forced to look to Christ for our contentment. We, we give up on all these false hopes that we've had. And we learn that life is not about just me having a good time. It's not about my glory. It's about... Christ and His glory. We learn that the that, that joy, real joy is found in losing my life for the sake of the Gospel. We learn that the things that we chase after are never enough. And they never last. And so we learn in the midst of our difficult circumstances to look to Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul even says that he does everything he, he, he makes it through all these circumstances. Through Him who gives me strength. I'm able to do anything through Him who gives me strength. And I, you know, that's one of those verses that kind of gets, gets taken out of context a lot. He's not saying, hey, I can do nuclear physics now, even though I don't know anything about physics or math, because I can do anything through Him who gives me strength. Or I can run a mile in a minute and a half, because I can do anything through Him who gives me strength. Paul's point is that whatever circumstance he finds himself in, he casts himself on Jesus Christ. He looks to Christ and he's able to persevere through those circumstances, good or bad, through Him who gives him strength. Now, how's that worked out in real life? Well, remember, I don't remember, last week or the week before, back in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 
as a believer, when you put your faith in Christ, you're united to Him spiritually. And then His strength is made available to you. It flows to you through that union with Christ as you pray to Him, as you look to Him, as you ask Him for the strength that you need. And so the encouragement in our difficult circumstances is to, to look away from our circumstances and look to Jesus Christ. Don't, don't even look at your prayers so much. How much I pray, or how good a job I pray, or how well together put together my prayers are. But use your prayers as a means to look to to look at Jesus Christ and to draw resources from Him, to draw contentment even from Him. We have to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Prayer is a way that we do that. Uh, if any of you have ever been contra dancing. You know what contra dancing is? Okay, we got one or two. Two. We got two. Okay. All right, I want you two to come to us. This will be even better. Um, contra dancing is like how um, it's like new age square dancing. Uh, it's called it's, it's Scottish country dancing, and it's kind of a we did it in Boone, so maybe that's why it had its new age feel. But it's it's this. Kind of, kind of fun little square dance you do, and it's combined with line dancing, and it's, it's really kind of complicated, it's a lot of fun. But there's one really weird thing about contra dancing. There's certain moves you do where you have to embrace the other person with your arm around their waist and spin in a circle. All right, now remember, you're doing, you're doing line dancing, so this is not necessarily the person you came with, okay? This can be a complete stranger that you just wind up spinning rapidly in, in a circle. And what they tell you is you have to look them dead in the eye while you're spinning or you're going to fall. And, and it really is true. Uh, and, and it really is awkward. It's one of those incredibly, hello, I don't know you. Okay. Can we please move on to the next dance partner? But I'm going to fall if I don't look at you. And so you, you spin the circle and you have to your eyes on this person. And I think it's a beautiful analogy, not the awkward part, but it's a beautiful analogy of what it's like to trust in Christ. That we really have to keep our eyes on Him because the temptation is what? It's to look on the circumstances around us. And if you take your eyes off of Jesus and if you look on the circumstances around you, things are going to get dizzy really rapidly. And you're much more likely to fall when you're not looking at Christ. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that, that, that doing this, keeping our eyes on Christ, often requires a lot of self-talk. Um, he, he put it like this, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. And what does he mean by that? He said, sometimes we have to do what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11. Uh, verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. And then verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him the help of my countenance and my God. And you can see what he's saying is we all have that kind of negative talk loop that goes in our head about whatever circumstances we're in. And we, we keep drawing on them and we can't get it out of our head. 
And he said, you've got to quit listening to that. And you've got to talk to yourself, not just listen to the negative self-talk that comes so just like without you can do anything, but you've got to talk to yourself, and you've got to talk to yourself specifically about God and who He is and what He's done and tell your soul to, to shut up and be quiet and, and to look at God and to listen to Him and to listen to His Word and to trust Him. Uh, we were watching some of the, the Iron Bowl pregame hype. There's a story about A.J. McCarron. He's a quarterback of Alabama. And a year or two ago, when they were about to go to the national championship game, he met this little girl in the hospital. I can't remember what was wrong with her, but she had a, a life-threatening illness, three or four years old. Everybody's kind of falling apart. And she told all of them, just trust. Just trust. And she had little bracelets made that said, just trust. And he wore one in the national championship game, and, and, and she saw him out, and he noticed kind of all these beautiful endings. She's, she's healthy now. Um, and that's what God is calling us to do. Not just to trust, just kind of generically trust in nothing, which is the way that kind of gets thrown around in our culture sometimes. But to trust in Him. To, to look at Jesus. To rest in Him. To talk to ourselves about who He is and what He's done for us in the Gospel. If God is for me, if God is for me, who can be against me? I've got to believe that. All right, think about when you get depressed. Um, what happens to your face? What happens to your face? Have you ever, there was a period of my life when I really was struggling with depression, and I could see pictures from then, and you kind of look at yourself and go, there is something wrong. I mean, you don't, have, you don't have to go up and talk to the person. You can just see it in their face. Um, you, you look distant. You look withdrawn. You, you can just see the person's kind of turned in on themselves. But the psalmist says... In Psalm 42, when he quit looking at himself and he started looking at God's face, that he began to get better. And here's how Martin Lloyd Jones put it when you're depressed. He said, You've got to turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed and unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged Himself to do, then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, the psalmist, I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance and His face. I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance who is also the help of my countenance and my God. See what he's saying? When I look at his face, when I quit looking at my face in the mirror and, and how bad things are going, when I look at his face, my face gets better. Contentment is learned through continually turning away from our, our morbid introspection and self-focus and turning to Jesus Christ. It's a hard thing. It begins with believing the Gospel and His practice as we turn to Christ. Now, before I kind of wrap up here, I want to say one other thing. I want to come back and say one other thing that contentment is and what it doesn't mean. All this that I've just said doesn't mean that we're called to just sort of uh, quietly sit by, stuff everything, stuff our feelings and complain. 
uh, not making our case to him. Contentment is not opposed to our crying out to God. Finding contentment, in fact, actually pushes us to cry out to him. Here's how Jeremiah Burroughs put it. It is not opposed to making in an orderly manner our moan and complaint to God and to our friends. And you can read the Psalms and see that. Not, not complaining, not yelling at God, but unburdening our heart in a submissive way to our Father in Heaven. Uh, he goes on the right. It is not opposed to all lawful seeking for help in different circumstances nor to endeavoring simply to be delivered out of present afflictions by lawful means. Though I may pray for God, to God for deliverance and use God's means, waiting for Him because it might be His will to change my condition. And as far as He leads me, I may follow His providence. It is but my duty. God is mercifully indulgent to our weaknesses, and He is glad for us to earnestly pray for deliverance until we know His good pleasure in the matter. Certainly seeking thus for help with such submission and holy resignation of spirit to be delivered when God wills and as God wills and how God wills so that our wills are melted into the will of God. That is not opposed to the quietness which God requires in the contented spirit. Um, I, I saw this worked out one time. I, I, I met this lady who absolutely hated her job. And she got an opportunity to take a new job and to get out of it. But her pastor had told her, you haven't learned to be content in this job yet. And so until you learn to be content in this job, you can't move on to another job. And that's just, that's just messed up. Um, that's all wrong. God was being merciful to her. He, he was giving her a lawful means of escape. Um, you know, that, that's like saying you can't evacuate from the hurricane that's coming until you learn to be content in the hurricane. All right? When you, when you learn to ride one out, then it's okay, next time you can, you can leave. Uh, or, or if I said, y'all can't leave worship until you learn to be content with this sermon. All right? When, when you all get perfectly contented, then I can, I can let you go out the back door. No, I'm going to end, and that'll be a lawful means of escape for you. <laughs> you get you can get away from this. But, but what we're called to is, is to, to think on contentment. Um, to meditate on that. Uh, to strive for it. To look to Christ for it. To cry out in the midst of our difficulties, but also to be looking to Christ for contentment and hopefully to gain more of it over time. So let me go back to that first definition again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to you and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It's a heart condition. It starts with believing the gospel. It's learned as we practice turning to Christ, but it's not opposed to our making our complaint to God. I'm saying one more thing about this and then, and then we're going to wrap up. Paul wants the Philippians to know that he's learned to be content even when he's in need. So he's saying, guys, don't think as I say this and I'm sitting over here whining about life. But at the same time, look at verse 14 again and what he says. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And then verse 16, um, 
even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, or again and again. Paul really wants to know, wants them to know that even though he's telling them he's learned what it means to condemn in, in, in any and every situation, that they really have been a help to him. And then he points out the fact that their gifts are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What they did wasn't just uh, helping out a friend, but it actually brought glory to God. It was therefore a glorious thing. And here's what I want you to notice here. If you're discouraged, uh, you need to know that one of the means God has ordained to encourage you are the other people of God. That we are meant to be a, a blessing and an encouragement in one another's lives. In other words, one of the ways God encourages His people is through His people. He, he strengthened Paul through the Philippians and they're here for Him. Uh, hopefully, if you're kind of in a, in a bad place, then God's people are rallying around you and they're encouraging you. But that's not an excuse just to kind of sit and wait on that to happen. Because you need to know as well that one of the ways of coming out of your own darkness is as God uses you in the lives of other people, even though you may feel like, I, I can't be used. Because listen to what Isaiah 58 says, and I've shared this before, but Isaiah 58 verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. I'm sure you know people who are, maybe even in our midst, who are lonely, who are discouraged, we're wrestling with, with one difficulty or the other. Are you are you coming alongside of them? Am I coming alongside of them and, and emptying ourselves for them? Uh, maybe it's in that, even though you think you have no resources, maybe it's in that emptying of yourself and dying to yourself that you'll find the life and the contentment that's always been just out of grasp. Maybe you'll become like this well-watered garden that Isaiah talks about, like the spring whose water, whose waters never fail. But you hear that and you say, that's scary. What, what, about, what about me? If I'm 15 myself, who's going to meet my needs? What does Paul say back in verse 19? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you find yourself kind of wrapped up in yourself this morning? Wrapped up in your hurts and discouragements in your world? Uh, afraid to let go of, of you? I want you to, to encourage you to look to Christ this morning. To look to the cross this morning. To see that He has given Himself for you so that your sins can be forgiven. And then turn, rejoice in that, and then turn and give yourself away for others. 
And maybe in the, the midst of that, you'll find that contentment has been alluding to pray for us. Father, um, we do readily confess that um, it's hard for us to be content. And um, we do try to find it in the wrong places. Father, I pray that, that maybe this morning the place we start is by looking around us and simply trying to be an encouragement to one another. Uh, to find those people in the body of Christ who need just a smile or our prayer, Father, that we would we would we would give them uh, and we would be Christ to them. Father, help us to forget about ourselves long enough to do that. Pray in Jesus' name.